Our scripture reader is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. This is found on page 8 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please, by all means, take one out the aisle. Take it as a gift from us. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so, you, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'll go ahead and add my welcome uh, to Brandy's. My name is Paul Brandis, and I serve here as one of the pastors. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, got to meet a few new people this morning, so on a holiday weekend, uh, coming out and joining us. We appreciate that. Whether this is your first time uh, or you've been here uh, since the very beginning, we're glad that you have made worshiping with us a part of your week and really the beginning of your week. Um, we're going to open God's Word, study the passage that Brandy just read for us, uh, and I believe that we need God's help to understand Him correctly. So if you would, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we do need your help each and every time that we open your word and as we seek to understand what it is that you have for us in Genesis chapter 12 this morning, I pray, Father, that you would speak through me and I would decrease as you increase. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, then you probably couldn't resist. You may have wanted to, but in the end, I know for me, the temptation was just too great. Maybe you fought it off for a little bit, but when it came down to it, I'm guessing, just like me, you gave in. What am I talking about? Well, about seeing Avengers Endgame, of course. No, just me. Am I the only person? I know I'm not the only person who saw this, right? And you did not have to drag me to the theater, right? I was ready to go. I watched the original Iron Man all the way back in 2008, and so I feel like so many of you, I have been waiting for the last 11 years to find out how all of this is going to end. And I'm not going to spoil it this morning. It's only been out a month. I'm not a monster, right? But I will say this. As you might expect, at some point in this movie, it seems as though all hope has been lost. The situation is bleak. It's beyond bleak, actually. It's downright depressing. And in those moments, what we have come to expect, because, you know, we watched the first 19 Marvel movies, and this is how it always goes, what we've come to expect in those moments of bleakness is for the superheroes to band together, we expect them to use their incredible powers to defeat the evil threat and to save the day. Oh, and we also expect them to make $2.6 billion in the process. Destroying global box office records, isn't it? But isn't that the formula in these movies? Stuff goes from bad to worse to catastrophic, but then the super people put their hands in the middle and band together to solve the problem. Go team, right? And you know, you might think it's strange... But thinking about the book of Genesis, which we have been journeying through the last few months, I, I noticed a parallel 
to the highest grossing movie franchise of all time. And the parallel is quite simple. Much like every single Marvel movie, in Genesis, stuff seems to go bad quickly. In Genesis, stuff seems to go bad quickly. I mean, just think about where we've been so far in this teaching series. Isn't that true? Now, we spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2 before everything breaks, but even in those chapters, it would have been irresponsible of us not to acknowledge the real pain and brokenness connected to the topics that we covered. And then we hit Genesis 3. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and the entrance of sin and death into God's good world. And from there, stuff spirals. In Genesis 4, the third human, Cain, kills the fourth human, his brother Abel. And then oh so quickly, we find ourselves in Genesis 6-5, which reads this way. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, this verse knocked me back on my seat when I revisited it this week. Because the point comes through so powerfully. Wickedness was great. Every intention only evil continually. And so God's judgment falls in the form of the flood. But he provides an ark as he always does, and he preserves his creation through Noah and his family. And he doesn't do this because Noah was perfect either. Far from it. I mean, seriously, this week, take a look at the end of Genesis 9. It gets weird fast. And then last week, we covered the first part of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, we humans tried to rebuild the Garden of Eden, but without God. Apart from him, for the glory of our own name, not his. And how did that turn out? So then Genesis 12, our passage for this morning. It really is a where are the superheroes moment. That's Genesis 12. Where are they? Who is going to band together to fight evil and fix these problems? We need Hulk. We need Thor. We need Captain America. We need Iron Man. But then... Since this is, after all, God's story, maybe we should ask this question. What is God's plan? Stuff seems bleak. It's spiraling again. We find ourselves at this key moment in the book of Genesis, the hinge between chapter 11 and chapter 12, and I find myself asking, what is God's plan? What's his plan? Well, let me read the first few verses again what Brandy read, and we find ourselves here in God's plan. Look back with me, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now that's a bit different, isn't it? That's not exactly Earth's mightiest heroes, right? That's the Avengers. In fact, it's just the opposite. And and now we expect God's plan to be a lot more like the Avengers, but what we have here is just one guy. One guy, an old Middle Eastern shepherd who doesn't have a single superpower to his name. And that's curious, isn't it? Surprising. 
What, what's God's plan? Well, God's plan is small. God's plan is small. You can't get much smaller than one random guy in the middle of the desert, can you? It's the ultimate example of someone coming from humble origins. And I don't think this is how we would draw it up either. When there are real problems to fix, when, when there is real brokenness, we go big. Go big or go home, right? That's the saying. But God, not so much. More often than not, God starts small, nondescript, under the radar. God's plans often make you do a double take. Really? That's what you're going with? Are you sure you don't want to resubmit that strategic plan, God? And here is no exception. You know, God says that he has incredible plans for Abram. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But if we park ourselves in Genesis 12, it's hard to see how that's possible. I mean, at this point, Abram is already 75 years old and his wife Sarai is 65. And yet God looks at them and says, Abram, you and your wife, you can't have kids, but I am going to make a family out of you. I will make a way where there is no way, a nation out of you, and I will bless the entire world through you. It's like, really, God? Are you sure you're at the right address? Are you sure that I'm the right Abram? Are you not looking for someone else, maybe? And sure, from our seat in history, we can look back and we can see that, well, okay, Abram eventually becomes Abraham, We can see that his family does grow to become the nation of Israel. And we can even see that one of his descendants, maybe you've heard of this guy, is Jesus Christ. But why begin here with him? Well, the answer to that question is because this is what God does. Not just once. Not just twice. But over and over and over again, God's plan is small. I mean, just think about how Jesus himself came. God himself, what? Born in a barn. God himself placed in an animal feeding trough. The king of the universe, not welcomed by a royal court, but by rough and tumble shepherds. And then think about what Jesus taught, what he said. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, here's a mustard seed compared to a penny, a Canadian one for some reason. I don't know. (laughs) It's all Google Images had for me. I don't know. You get the point, don't you? A mustard seed? Really? That's what the kingdom of God is like? God's plan is small. It's small. But it doesn't stop there, does it? No, God's plan is also slow. God's plan is small and God's plan is slow. God promises to make a nation out of Abram and Sarai, but do you know how long that takes? It is another 25 years from this moment before their first child of promise is born, Isaac. And then you fast forward to the end of the book of Genesis, 286 years after this moment in Genesis 12, and Abram only has about 70 descendants. So it's a family, yeah, and it certainly is more than Abram started with, but you would not call it a nation yet. 
70 people? It's just a ragtag family reunion, sort of Jerry Springer style, honestly, if you read the stories closely. And this small group, this family, it heads off to Egypt, where they eventually experience 400 brutal years of slavery and oppression. And they do finally grow into a nation during this time period, but I am sure, I am convinced, I know that it was hard for them to see how that, how that could be part of God's grand promise to Abram, that I will make you a nation, I will grant you land, and I will bless the world through you. That's God's promise to Abram in Genesis 12, and yet Abram sees basically none of that in his life. He lives another 100 years from our text in Genesis 12, and yet he dies with basically none of God's promises to him being realized. Can you even imagine? I start praying for something on a Sunday, and I give up by Wednesday. I so quickly forget that God's plan is slow. I so quickly forget that God's ways are not my ways, that God's timing is not my timing. I so quickly forget that silence from God does not necessarily mean no, but it might mean not right now. And it might mean not for a long time either. And that's hard. But then I look at Abraham and I am reminded this is God's timeline. This is how he works. Patience is a necessary part of faith. It's baked into the cake. And as your pastor, I have the privilege of knowing so many of your stories. I get to journey alongside of so many of you, and I know, I know that so many of you have been waiting for such a long time. Waiting. Waiting for that friend to apologize that wronged you. Waiting for a spouse to come to Jesus. Waiting for a pregnancy to come. Waiting for a child to be given. Waiting for the end of a brutal health struggle. Waiting for the pain to go away. Waiting for happiness to come back. Waiting for a better job. Waiting for any job. Waiting. When I wait, when I struggle in my waiting, here's where my heart tends to go. First, I doubt myself. Am I doing something wrong? Is God angry with me? Is it my fault? Then second, I doubt God. Well, well if He really loved me, or, or if He really is real, it's His fault. But the reality is, Abraham, the model of faith in the Old Testament, dies waiting for the promise of God that were spoken to him. Why would I think that I'd be any different? Friends, in those desperate moments of waiting, and I know they are desperate, I have been there in coffee shops with you, in hospitals with you, in funeral homes with you, in those desperate moments of waiting, remind yourself what you already know to be true. God has proven His love for you on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. And more than that, somehow more than that, God promises to make it all right. 
to work it all back together to make everything sad come untrue. But He works oh so slowly. Are we prepared for God's plans to outlive us? Will we trust Him in that? Because God's plan is slow. It's small, it's slow, and it's scary. God's plan is scary. You know, God told Abram to go, but often it's easier to stay. Isn't that true? Going is different. Going is new. Going is unknown. Change is hard. And inertia means that more often than not, most people stay. Stay. This week I came across a fascinating article from the New York Times 2015 article. It's titled, The Typical American Lives Only 18 Miles from Mom. It's a fascinating read. And as you might imagine, the reasons why people stay near home are layered, but the big idea of this article, that basically no one moves very far away from home, is super intriguing to me. Even today, in our highly mobile, transient culture, people barely leave their hometowns, their families. They barely do it. But back then, for Abram, in the ancient Near East, this was unbelievable heard of. Unheard of. Because you see, his father, Terah, is still alive. Abram actually had a cultural responsibility to stay with his family. It wasn't just hard to leave your family in his culture. It was actually viewed as unethical. It was viewed as an incredible betrayal. How could you? Abram, how could you leave Terah? How could you do it? And yet, And yet, here is what we have from God to Abram in verse 1. Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Just in case Abram missed what he'd be leaving, God repeats it three times. Your country, your kindred, your father's house. You know what you're leaving. And go to the land that I will show you. God says, leave behind your father's house. Leave behind your security, your comfort, your country. Leave it all behind. Everything you know and everything you think you need. That's scary. And we shouldn't miss this part of it either, right? Because Abram, at this point, he's already 75 years old. His retirement plan is his flock, his livestock, his animals. That's what his retire. He doesn't have a 401k He's got a herd. That is his retirement plan. Which if he obeys God and leaves, his retirement plan could very easily be destroyed. That would be more volatile than some of what happens in our 401ks when the market takes a dip. How easy is it for the animals to die in the desert? How easy is it for them to get attacked by a mountain lion? Gone. His security, his retirement plan. And yet, God says, go. And maybe you notice, he doesn't even tell him where to go. Go to a land that I will show you. Yeah, if you pack up in obedience, if you hit the road, trust me, Abram, that I will reveal it to you. But I'm not telling you right now on the front end. Would anyone in this room agree to that? I don't think I would, if I'm being perfectly honest. 
No, you see, far more often, this is what I say to God. This is what I say to God. Just me. Just me. This is what I say to him. God, I'll follow your plan as long as you tell me what the plan is. And God, I'll follow your plan if I like the plan. I'll do whatever you want as long as I get to keep my comfortable life, my salary, my friends. God, I'll follow your plan as long as I can date whoever I want, do whatever I want. You know, God, on second thought, what I meant to say is I'll do whatever you ask as long as it's already what I want to do. I might be pushing the point, but only a little, I think. Doesn't that ring true at some level to you? I know it does to me. Because you see, when Jesus bids us to follow him, what does he say? He says, take up your cross. Take up your cross, which is more than just a pretty necklace or a decoration to hang up on stage at church. The cross, lest we forget, is first death. The cross is first death. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor who was killed for resisting the Nazis, he said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. God's plan for you first involves you dying to yourself. Are you ready for that? It's scary, I know. It feels risky. And to the watching world, it certainly looks crazy. Dying to yourself, that is not in our culture's DNA. Has anyone ever looked at you and the choices that you make because you follow Jesus and said, what in the world are you doing? If not, have you really died to yourself? Daily death to self so we can follow Jesus and become like Him is not the way of the world. We will look different. And this is true in so many ways, is it not? It's true in how we think about and approach money. It's true in how we think about and approach our work, our sexuality, and on and on and on. But let's just zero in on one this morning. Dying daily to ourselves means that we will look different than the world when it comes to our calendars and our schedules. Our calendars and our schedules. And this is true for all of us. Single, married, kids, no kids. I believe, this is true for me, for all of us, that doing a calendar audit would reveal a lot about whether or not we are daily dying to ourselves and living more like Jesus would reveal a lot about whether or not we're listening to God and obeying His commands. And I have not arrived in this area, believe me. I am a fellow struggler on this journey with you. But you know, I have observed something curious, especially among families with kids who reach activity age. Activity age, you know what I'm talking about, right? Baseball, theater, music, swimming, Boy Scouts, band, soccer, choir, National Honor Society, lacrosse, cross-country, track. You get the point, I hope. You know, I've worked with young people for almost 15 years, and I worry a lot that we are over-programming our young people. We are scheduling them to the margins. We are pushing them harder and farther than they ought to go. All for what? To pad their application to get into the best college? 
And please do not misunderstand me. Please do not misunderstand me. I believe that those activities that I lifted, listed are good. They are good. I be- actually believe they're vital. They're vital to raising well-rounded and mature kids who will grow one day into responsible, contributing members to society. And of course, I think college is a good thing for many students. Of course. But are all of the activities necessary? Like all of them? Like, like all of them? Like that whole list at once, all of them? Are all of them necessary? Of that I'm not so sure. In fact, I have become more convinced in my 15 years of working with students that this is one of the ways that we should look different than the world around us. What if your family committed to eating the majority of dinners together each week? The majority of them, four out of seven. What if you and your family were to take a day of rest together? No activity, no programming, a Sabbath. What if you and your family were to place family, community, church, service at the very top of your priority list, above endless amounts of activity and programming? What if? People would look at you and say, what in the world are you doing? Don't you want the best for your kids? And I think you could respond back to them and say, yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's scary, I know. It's scary. But again, that is God's plan. Small, slow, scary. But that's not all. God's plan is also outward. It's outward. God's plan isn't about Abram. It's not ultimately about you or me, about us. It's beyond us. God's plan is for the sake of those who aren't even here. And God makes this abundantly clear, the goal of his plan with Abram. Look back again at verses 2 and 3. Those verses read this way. And I will make you a great nation, Abram, and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Why? Why am I doing this? Why am I blessing you? Why am I making you a great nation? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God blesses so that we can bless. God loves so that we can love. God breaks in and transforms our lives, not that we will see them as an end in and of themselves, but so that we will see our lives as the means by which God will bless the world. Did you hear that this morning? Your life is the means by which God will bless the world. I don't know about you, but that gives me a shot in the arm. My life is the means by which God will bless the world. That gives me purpose. That gives me direction. That gives me meaning when I wake up on Monday morning. My life is the means by which God will bless the world? I'm guessing quite a few of you have had a chance to listen to a graduation speech or two lately. It's that time of year. And so often... What we tell our young people, our advice to our students is this, do what you love, find yourself, you do you, live your passion, which I I actually think that's terrible advice. It's entirely self-centered and it either ends in narcissism or defeat. What we should be saying, I think, 
is this. It's not find your passion, but find your purpose. It's not you do you, it's love others and give yourself away. Students that are here today, graduating seniors, all of us that are here, how do you plan to be a blessing to the world? How is God going to use you? This outward mission also affects the way we view church, doesn't it? We're not a social club. We're a mission. We don't exist for ourselves, but for our city and world. It's why we multiply. It's why we partner with churches like Christian Fellowship. And it's why 35 of you attended a training about becoming a lunch buddy mentor at King Elementary. Because this isn't about us. You know, this is why we made this outreach prayer calendar for the summer. Hopefully you were handed one of these along with your Connect magazine this morning. If not, make sure you grab one. Because here at Christ Community, we get to be involved in God's outward mission literally around the entire world. In China, in Germany, in Rwanda, in India, in Kenya. Kenya. You've heard of the 11th Hour Network. That is our global partner of focus here at Brookside. Hopefully you remember Gitachu, the leader of the 11th Hour Network. He was just able to visit us back in March. This past week, we we received word of an urgent prayer request from Gitachu regarding Evangelical Victory Church in Nairobi. This church is incredibly important to the work of the 11th Hour Network. And the name of this church might sound familiar to you. Pastor Bill had an opportunity to preach there back in April of 2018. I think I have a picture here. This is Bill, our pastor, preaching at Evangelical Victory Church in Nairobi. And Getachew sent word to us this week asking us to pray fervently for this church because it has recently come under attack. It survived an attempt to burn it to the ground. And it was attempted to be burned to the ground because of its its success in evangelism among the Muslim population in Nairobi. Praise God that it still stands today. This is one of the pictures that he sent along. And the Christians themselves in this region have come under harsh persecution. And the situation, this is not past tense, this is right now. It's still incredibly tense. And Getachew sent word asking for prayer, and this is what he said, for the Lord of heaven to intervene and restore peace in the area. That's number one. Here, this is also on the list. And for the church to remain strong and bold so the believers can continue to be courageous in proclaiming Jesus. No one tried to burn down my church this week. But that's what happened. And Getachew, our brother in Christ, who stood right here on this platform, sent word and said, hey, the church that is so important to me, there was an attempt to burn it down this past week. And one of the things I would love for you to pray for is that the believers that are here would continue to be bold and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? Because Getachew knows that God's plan is outward. Gitachu knows that God's plan, God's mission is outward. It's not inward. Evangelical Victory Church does not exist for herself. It exists for the city of Nairobi and the country of Kenya. It exists for those there that do not know him yet. And why do we exist here? For those in our schools and neighborhoods and in our city that do not know him yet. God's plan in Kansas City and in Nairobi is outward. 
It's outward. And what an opportunity we have to join in this outward mission in Nairobi, in Kenya, through prayer. And what an opportunity to get one of these prayer calendars and join in God's outward mission that he has Christ's community on around literally the entire world. Make sure you get one of these on your way out if you don't have one already. Because God's plan is outward. It's small, it's slow, it's scary, and it's outward. But you know what else? It includes you. God's plan includes you. It's not about you, but it includes you. When God tells Abram to go, it actually would be better translated as you go. You, you go, Abram, you. You, Abram, I'm calling you to go. And the same applies to us as well. You, me, us, today, here, Kansas City. God is calling. Will we join him? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? He may not be calling us to physically leave Kansas City like he called Abram to leave Haran, uh, physically leave Haran, but he is calling you somewhere, somehow, isn't he? I imagine you already know what that call is. So will you join? This plan includes you. How are you going to respond? And, and do you know why this plan includes you? How it's possible that this plan includes you? It's because of this, our final point for this morning in closing. Ultimately, God's plan is Jesus. Ultimately, God's plan is Jesus. And that is why you are able to be included in God's plan because of Jesus. This is where all of this heads, is it not? Abram had Isaac, who has Jacob, who has Judah, and on and on and on and on until we get to one Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary and Jesse in Bethlehem. Jesus, God himself, come to rescue us so that we could be included in God's plan. And if you're here this morning and are not a follower of Jesus, we are thrilled that you trusted us with your time. And you might not believe this story. I get that. But I did want you to hear what we believe. We as Christians believe that this is the lengths to which God has gone to find you. You see, this moment that happens with Abram in Genesis 12, it happened 4,000 years ago, and it happened in part for you and really, God's search for you began long before that, at the foundation of the world. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus, direct from the line of Abraham, he came to earth to find you, to live for you, to die for you, and to rise again for you. And now, Jesus has spent the last 2,000 years building his church to spread his good news until it finally got here to you today. Do you really think it's a mistake that you're sitting here in this church right now, right here, listening to the good news of Jesus be preached? Is that a mistake? Could it be that the God of heaven is searching after you desperately, inviting you to join him? And if you are a Christian, I wonder, do we see our lives as a fulfillment and a continuation of God's plan to redeem the world? A plan that found its culmination, that found its bright, hot center in the person and work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. Trace it back through with me. Trace it back through with me. Jesus started out pretty small, didn't he? He came as a baby. You can't get much smaller than a baby. Jesus came small, and Jesus must have seemed really slow. 
He spent 15 years, his first 15 years of his career working in a carpenter's shop. The God of the universe who sculpted mountains built tables. That must have seemed pretty slow. Jesus took some scary steps in his ministry, did he not? He walked into his father's house, the temple, and he saw that it would be, was being used not as a house of prayer, but as a place of exploitation and oppression. And he took the scary step of standing up to the religious leaders and flipping the tables. Jesus took scary steps. And thank goodness, thank God that Jesus never turned inward, but lived his life outward facing all the way to the cross. Jesus never turned inward. He was always outward. Always outward. And he was outward to the cross so that you and I might have a way back to the Father. So that we could join him in this plan, in this mission. Yes, it's small. Yes, it's slow. Yes, it's scary. But it's outward because people need Jesus. Will we join him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good to us because you didn't give up. You could have, you had every right, but you didn't. And you pursued us to the point of Jesus. Jesus, who lived his life in the way that we ought to have but could never. The way that we should have but didn't. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. And thank you that he provides a way for us to get back to you. We're so grateful for him and his life and death and resurrection. And it is now that we turn to celebrate that in the act of communion. Amen.